KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. During these days of COVID-19, you are hard-pressed to find any news story that doesn't have some sort of connection to the pandemic. In fact, I would say over the last few weeks, there's only one story that has really broken through, and of course, that is the story about the arrival of so-called murder hornets in the U.S. So these are the Asian giant hornets, and they have been found in the Pacific Northwest. These things are intimidating looking, and They can do some damage, but are they really as bad as they're being made out to be? We wanted to find out more about these hornets, so to do so, we checked in with Dr. Christopher Tipping. He is an associate professor of biology at Delaware Valley University in Doylestown. We talked to him about the possible origin of the murder hornet nickname, how they may have arrived in the U.S., and whether or not we should be concerned about seeing these hornets in the Delaware Valley. Really interesting stuff. Give a listen. So let's start. Uh, We've heard an awful lot over the last uh, couple weeks about murder hornets. I guess my first question is, is that a scientific name? Uh, I've been hearing that question a lot. I'm really not sure where it originated from. Um, I've seen it repeated all over the press. One idea that I thought maybe was related to that name is that these hornets sometimes have the ability to attack and decimate colonies of honeybees, uh, especially in Japan. And um, it, when they do attack, it's it's pretty vicious. And maybe that's where the word murder came from. What are they called? Because I've only honestly heard them referred to as murder hornets. So what, what are they called? Yeah, their scientific name is Vespa mandarinia. And being in that genus Vespa, they are brown nesting hornets, including things that around here like yellow jackets, Bald-faced hornets, the big nest you see up in trees, is another related group. They just happen to be a very large species in this group of, of wasps. So where are they from? How did they get to the U.S.? That's a good question. Well, originally, their distribution is thought to be uh, northern Japan. And they also occur in parts of Asia and uh, a little bit on the coast of Russia, I believe, in that area. So... Uh, they're indigenous to that kind of environment. How they got to America is a good question. I could uh, come up with a lot of uh, guesses as to how. One thing that, that happens in the fall with um, pretty much all species in this group of wasps is that uh, these colonies produce females that um, overwinter. So what they do is they leave the nest in the fall and they find a place that is sheltered and that's where they survive the winter. So that could be under a rock, in some logs, in your attic even. So what could have happened is those females that left the nests that they grew up in the fall uh, ended up in some sort of packing material or in uh, something that was shipped, a shipping container perhaps, and they could have been accidentally brought to America that way. That's a pretty common way that insects uh, tend to get here in shipping containers and they arrive in port and if conditions are right they can uh, survive and and sometimes become established. Is this something that 
we had kind of expected to happen, and it was just a matter of when, or has this really kind of caught uh, your community by surprise that they've shown up on American shores? Invasive insects arrive in America all the time. If you think back in the last decade and a half here in this region, you remember those brown mammarated stink bugs? People remember them well, I think. 2010 was probably when they were the peak around here. And then, of course, the spotted lanternfly, also from uh, Asia. So I think there's lots of examples of insects coming from other parts of the world as our trade increases. And it's hard to predict what species are going to be a problem when they get to a new place. I used to work at the, in Florida, and our concern were insects that came from the Caribbean and Central and South America because of the similar habitats. So we're constantly on the lookout for that. Is there like perhaps a, a special watch list to watch for? Uh, I think some places might have that, but um, it's really hard to predict what species are going to come and when. And what we have to be able to do is to be flexible and, and respond quickly to those uh, initial invasions to eradicate them. So that being said, it sounds like at this point, this is a Washington state problem. Do you have concerns that they'll make their way east? Or do you think we've kind of got the pieces in place that we can hold the line there and eradicate them, as you said? Well, I think uh, one thing that's that happens nowadays that maybe didn't 15 years ago is that, you know, the press and and social media have the ability to really put information out for people to look for, be on the lookout for this insect or uh, watch out for this pest. And I think that's very helpful in uh, quarantine, but um, it's hard to predict if, if that insect is going to break out from that part of the country. It's also in, it's been reported, I believe, in southern Canada, not far from that border with uh, Washington um, at this point, I, I'm not overly concerned about it. I think uh, there's enough press, there's enough uh, energy, there's enough uh, resources now. Scientists out there are um, beginning to figure out strategies on how to perhaps trap them if these wasps are established. It's kind of funny. There's a, a guy from Pennsylvania who now works out there. He was one of the initial people from Pennsylvania who worked with spotted lanternfly. And now he's out in Washington, and so he's dealing with a new invasive pest as well. But uh, I'm, I'm not overly concerned at this point. They're big wasps. People get scared by them. But uh, I, I'm more concerned locally with the species we already have here, especially things like bald-faced hornets and European hornets. You know, generally they build nests, and people don't know they're there until towards late summer when the nests are large and if the nest is near, say, like a swimming pool or, you know, where children are playing, that can be a problem. But at this point, I'm not overly concerned. These things, I've seen a couple videos. I think I saw one where one was attacking a rat or a mouse, and it looked massive. I mean, it looked like something out of a movie. I mean, how big, how big can they get? And on average, how big are these? I've seen uh, photographs of individuals that are close to you know, inch and a half, almost two inches. So the, the size of these types of wasps depends on the nutrition they get when they're young. 
So in the spring, say a colony is started by a female, she begins to, she lays her eggs and then uh, she rears the first generation of her daughters. And they're not very large, but over this course of the season, those workers, that, that first generation, they're very good foragers. So they, they supply the next generation of eggs quite a bit of nutrition. So the individuals in a colony tend to be larger in the fall. But, you know, I, I've, I've only seen photos. I've never really held one in my hand. There is a species that occurs here already called Vespa crabo, which is the European hornet. And in the fall, people call me a lot about them. And they can be fairly large, too, almost an uh, inch and a quarter, inch and a half. And really scared for people to see a wasp that large. If you do come in, like we said, right now, this is thousands of miles away, even though it's in the U.S. But if you come in contact with one, are they aggressive? Or is it like most insects, if you kind of leave them alone, they'll leave you alone? And it sounds like these if you get stung, it is painful. And eventually, if you get stung enough, it could be deadly. Kind of give us context for the, all that. Uh, because that is something I think that people are playing up. Sure. Generally, it depends on the circumstance on when you encounter them. Um, just like they have behaviors very similar to the species that are already here. Say, for example, you're walking in the forest and you accidentally step into a subterranean yellow jacket nest. I don't know if you've ever had that wonderful experience. Uh, initially, the first few will sting you, and then you are marked with a scent and that causes the others to know where to sting. And you can rapidly receive several dozen stings quickly. But if they are out foraging as individuals, I don't think they're overly aggressive. If you perhaps sat on one, I think you wouldn't forget it. Um, if you tried to hold one in your hand, it would probably sting you. But if you approached a nest and you uh, disturbed them, they would react like most members of this group. Now, perhaps one of the, the bad things about this insect is that it's so large, so it releases a large amount of venom when it stings you. And most people who have uh, health issues with stings are, are usually related to uh, an, an allergy. A couple stings can be fatal to someone who has um, a strong allergy to it. They can go into shock and, and die pretty quickly. But in, in terms of... Um, is the venom more poisonous than, than other species? I don't think so. I, I haven't read anything that indicates it's the most toxic. But without a doubt, large individuals can inject a large amount of venom into whatever they're stinging. and uh, It's not pleasant. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that, that um, experience of being stung by a whole bunch of wasps. I've had several times in my life, and uh, it's, it's unforgettable. One of the things, the first things you heard about this is what it does to honeybees, like when they attack and they feed on the honeybees. Uh, kind of talk a little bit about the danger they present to bee populations. And we've kind of looked at it from a human standpoint. I mean, bees are so important and bees are struggling. Is this something to be worried about from that standpoint of really disrupting bee colonies and, and things like that? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, several people have been asking me about it. I, I also help with the bees that we have at Del Val, so I have a little bit of background on them. There have been some videos circulating that show these colonies of, of honeybees being attacked and, and basically overwhelmed 
by these uh, wasps. And, and that's one of their strategies in their native environments in Japan. They uh, find a colony that is weak and they begin to uh, do several strategies when they attack it. One of them is to, they basically kill all the adults that can find and then they will go inside and feed on the larva and the pupa of the bees, which is a, a rich source of nutrients for them. European honeybees that are raised in Japan really don't have a good defense against them. There is a, a species of honeybee in Japan that um, is native and they have a strategy for killing these wasps when they find them. They, uh, they kind of jump all over them and they hold tight and they make a ball and they vibrate their thorax, which is where their wing muscles are. And they basically cook that individual wasp. So when we think about how these wasps find a colony, one or two might find one and then go back and report to the others through a, a series of chemistry. And uh, that's when the stream begins to, you know, the big, the big rush begins. But if you can uh, kill a scalp that is looking in your colony, um, you're basically safe from, from an attack. The honeybee keepers in Japan have been dealing with these insects since the 40s and 50s. And they have a variety of, of strategies they use to try to manage them. They, uh, they have traps that they set up. They, they have something that's kind of like a fly swatter that they use to kill these hornets when they see them, one or two that fly around their colonies. But uh, trapping and, and changing the entranceway to their uh, honeybee colonies is one way to, to try to s prevent these wasps from going on to a, a massive uh, attack on the colony. And, and they're big and, and, and they're strong. They can bite a honeybee in half very quickly. And uh, when several dozen of them are, are coming into a, a hive, it's, um, it's over pretty quickly. But overall, to kind of wrap up here, your concern about them coming here at this point is, is pretty low. Uh, at this point in time, I'm not overly concerned. We'll have to wait and see. We'll see if they uh, get established out uh, in the Pacific Northwest. When you think about the environment out there, parts of that area are very similar to parts of Japan where it's native. I'm not sure if they would uh, be prosperous in this area based on weather and other environmental conditions, but I think if they did become established, it would take probably several years for them to reach the east. And uh, I think by that point, we would probably be managing them a little bit better. So at, at this point in time, though, I'm not overly concerned. And I think a lot of the, the stories are a little sensationalistic. And, and, and I think it's good because, um, well, I, I, as a scientist, I, I kind of don't really like that so much. But understanding trying to manage invasive insects that sensationalism is, is gets attention. And when people can report uh, sightings, that can help us manage them. So I, I guess there is a, a role for that sensationalism. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 